check out my website. It's hungtgirl.com, spelled just like my name here. You can uh, click on the pictures there. They're actually free videos. I update them every week. They'll appear differently depending on whether you're on an old school PC or laptop or if you're on a mobile device. If you're on a mobile device, you can click on the little blue charms to say mobile movies and the movies will start right up for you. But if you're on a PC or a laptop or something, um, just go into the page and the movies will start streaming on their own. They'll start playing for you. Uh, you may have to update the Adobe plugin on your computer, but that's free. Just click that and it'll play for you. Uh, you'll get more videos that way also. So you could check out that side of me, the naked side of me, and um, get a subscription, make a donation, or just check out the free stuff. All of the above are very much appreciated. Thank you very much. Um, and But you can see what we do here with the naked truth. This is a different side of me, a side that I believe exists in everyone, whether we embrace it, accept it, or deny it. Um, a spiritual side and you can see here what we do is go over an example um, is uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ chapter by chapter and verse by verse um, so if you like you can read along with me so that you don't think I'm making things up uh, if there's something I don't understand I don't mind saying I don't know what it means and there are a few things that Jesus taught that are sort of enigmatic like that that just don't seem very clear to me, but it may be because of my lack of experience or whatever. So that's what we're going to pick up at where we left off. We were in the book of Luke, as you can see. Um, we're going to pick up in the book uh, on the chapter 9 of Luke, but um, just a quick review of what happened in Luke chapter 8. A verse that I thought that stands out to me um, from that chapter is what Jesus had to say about who it is who he considers family so it's not just um, as you can see it's not blood that Jesus considers family just like how we uh, seem closer to and generally are closer to people who we are blood relatives with uh, Jesus is making it clear here that it's not blood that he sees as the binding force between who he calls family uh, and just, um, I'll read it to you real quick. But he answered, well, to, to open it up. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So I think the significant thing there, you see the only part that is in red was what Jesus said. And he said there very clearly, the people who he considers his family are the people who not only hear the word of God, but actually do it. And you have to accomplish both, otherwise, I don't know that it matters very much. It's like, you have to practice what you preach, basically. Um, so anyway, that's what happened in Luke chapter 8. If you'd like, you can get your Bible and read along, or just um, see it here as I pull it up for you. And read along with me. And as always, we'll focus on what Jesus had to say because, as I always say, if you're a Christian, Jesus should get the last word on anything, especially if he took time to cover it. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 9, um, verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So if you've been reading along with me before, you know that this is uh, the point where he's sending the disciples out. And on their mission to sort of um, 
pave the way for him before he gets to those different areas like he's on a tour. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag, nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. So the thing to notice there is that it's not us he gave these powers to, the power over demons and the sword and things like that, Exorc exercising them and whatnot, and they cure diseases. So maybe we shouldn't be so disappointed when we pray for things like healings for our loved ones, for ourselves, and they don't necessarily happen. It doesn't say he's given that power to everyone who believes in him. And those sort of statements are made in other places in the gospel. But it says specifically he's given it to the disciples and for a reason. Because they're going ahead of him on the way that he's about to go. And he said to them, um, so he's letting them know uh, only the only preparation that they need is to follow what he says. And God's going to take care of the rest for them. So letting them know that all they really need is faith. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever, oh, so um, we'll just go verse by verse. So he's letting them know when they get to an area, stay there and don't go hopping from house to house. And I think that could be because, partly because he doesn't want people to give them the reputation, reputation that they're freeloading and just going from house to house collecting whatever it is they can. Excuse me. Which, there's nothing wrong with that if that's your thing, but that's not what their purpose is meant to be. So, um, I, he doesn't want, I think, in this, when he gives them this command, to um, for people to get the message confused with what it is he's actually having people to know. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So, um... I think this goes literally for, it may not be for you going from town to town, but if you're going to apply this to your life, it it should be applied in the sense of when we wonder when we should share uh, Christianity, uh, faith with people, uh, and when we should keep it to ourselves. Um, he's saying in the times when you do share it with people and they reject it, make it like dirt off your shoulder. Don't hold on to it. And don't let it cling to you. Don't let that shake your faith for one thing. And don't let it um, uh, introduce doubts where you'll probably already have some. Because what's written here is only partially what's been saved over the thousands of years of, um, of the history of all of this happening. So it's not like we have a complete picture, but we have what was saved. So that's what we have to go by. Um but he's saying, shake it off when people reject you, basically, which might be a good thing to do in life in general, rather than hold on to it and let it cling to you. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So you see the disciples are on the move. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead. And by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Um, Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So here you're basically getting a, a quick rundown of um, what happened to um, what happened to John the Baptist and his demise. In other Gospels, it's a more complete picture of what happens to him and how he's killed and everything and I'm 
pulling this up so you can see when when they talk about this Herod, it's Herod the Great. If you notice over here where it talks about um, when he was born, it says 73 BC, which means before Christ. Or if you don't like, if you deny Christ, then it means um, uh, before the Common Era. Common Era. And um, here you see he died four years before Christ was even born. So the thing to notice there is that let's, like I said before, the records we have are not complete. They're just what has been saved. And if you see, if he's dead four years before Christ even was born, then that presents a discrepancy in the whole timeline of what's going on here. Now, it doesn't mean that these things didn't happen, but it does mean that the timing is off. So no one can really, like I've said before, can tell you exactly when Jesus was born. If the Gospels are telling you that and historical records are telling you this, that Herod is already dead. And if you in the Gospels, Herod is the same one who calls for the ma massacre of the innocents when he finds out that the wise men deceived him. So how can that have happened if Jesus is already hasn't even been born yet? Uh, according to, you know, you could search it yourself, but I just showed you just quickly is how you can see. Uh, when you can check these things and find out that everything people are telling you isn't necessarily true or may be true but isn't backed up factually. Um, so then you, some things you just have to walk on faith, uh, like I said before. But don't, again, don't think that Christianity is the only thing where you're walking on faith or even religions in general. And they're not. Even if you don't believe in Christ or God, you're believing in something and not believing that. If you believe there was a big bang, then you're believing that energy did was created out of nowhere and then caused that big bang or something since it's not known what happened before the big bang, if that theory is correct. And again, it's a theory, not a or a law. They they don't because they by um, definition a theory can never be proven, and facts or laws have to be proven to be those. So you um you're going on faith when you believe that out of nowhere energy was created or something, and then a big bang out of nowhere took place and created everything that is out of that when there was nothing or something that you don't know was before that, but you don't know what it is. And also you have to realize if you believe the Big Bang, which again, maybe there was one, maybe that's the instrument God used. But if you're believing that all that took place without any sort of um, anything before it or even not knowing what happened before, but also believing that energy just can't be created out of nowhere or destroyed, then um, again, that's faith. You're believing it and you may be right, but... It's taking faith to believe that since um, we try to recreate those same conditions now with that accelerated collider and um, it's very difficult to create those same uh, circumstances even on a small scale but we would like to believe that randomly that happened and created everything in the universe out of something microscopic. It's possible again but it takes faith to believe that just like it takes faith to believe in Christ. Uh, and the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But the multitudes knew it. They followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country 
and lodge and get provisions for we're in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. So um, what's happening is Jesus is on the move with the disciples and there's a huge crowd following them. And it's not like it is now where you can have food delivered or if you feel like it, go to a drive-thru or a buffet or whatever it is, go to your refrigerator. None of that existed back then. They didn't have it. So when it came to feeding the crowds, it's not like they could just call up an order and take care of everything. So they're wondering if you're going to feed all of these thousands of people who are following you. It hasn't been said as, that it's thousands yet, but when we get there, you'll see. Um, so Jesus is saying to them, uh, you give them something to eat as if they had Uber on their uh, phones. There weren't even phones back then. So they... Um, there, you see how the disciples react and they said we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people for there are about 5,000 men so the disciples uh, are looking at what they have on hand and it doesn't look like it's gonna be enough and it clearly wouldn't be enough if you if, if it was just what they had on hand but I think what Jesus is showing us here is an underlying spiritual message for us to carry the message forward with what it is, the little understanding, the revelations that we experience in life, and to share it with people, and that let that be uh, what we contribute, our small part, our five loaves and our two fish, and that he'll make it enough if we have the faith to do that, because uh, that's what's going to happen with the loaves, and that's what he just talked about when um, before he took them out on the mission to go share the word with them, uh, with the world. Um, so you see there's about 5,000 minutes says also. So don't overlook that also. That's a, a affirmation that it's a patriarchal society and even the patriarchal document, the Bible itself is in the, fact, in the sense that it's always the men who get the most notoriety and the most attention, even their genealogies being written again and again, even pages and pages long in some cases. Um, it lets you know that if uh, would a fair and just God really only focus on what's happening with the men and disregard the women who uh, the same God had to have created, um, it doesn't seem likely. So it lets you know, that, and that's in black, it's not in red, that lets you know that whoever compiled this portion of the Bible uh, or compiled this part of the story of what was compiled, because again, when it says the Gospel of Luke, doesn't mean Luke actually wrote this Gospel. It's the Gospel according to Luke. So it's what Luke experienced and passed down. And then at some point it was taken down in writing by someone who wrote the Gospel according to Luke. Um, so, you know, it's passed down, a word passes down orally, it can change. It, it, I'm sure you did that experiment in, in like elementary school. Excuse me. So um, you have thousands of people following him, and it's only talking about the men. So if you consider that even half of the men were probably married, and it's probably even more men than that that were married. But if you consider if half of them were married, then that makes it about 7,500 people. And then if um, those married people, because generally back then you had to be married to have a family. So if those 5,000 of the married 7,500 had 
two kids each, that's 10,000 more people. So you're talking about a whole lot of people potentially. But only the men got counted and there were 5,000 of them following. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so all sit down. Um, so Jesus is giving the command here and letting them know what it is they should do. And the first thing it seems he's doing is making them um, get order. Get, um, get, get some order in the crowd. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. So Jesus is performing another miracle here. In this sense, he's made the five loaves and two fish enough to feed all these thousands of people. And the way we know it's a miracle is because, again, there's no food delivery service. There's not even uh, electric or gas ovens. So it's not like they could cook up all this stuff. And they didn't even have refrigerators or deep freezers or coolers or uh, trucks, food trucks. None of that existed back then. So, um... Jesus was able to multiply it and make it enough. And I think the spiritual message is if we go to God with faith, uh, spirits particularly if we go to God with faith in Christ and follow his words and do what it is he tells us to do and take what it is we have, that little bit of faith, those tiny seeds, and um, share that with people, just like he's telling the disciples to share it with people, then uh, God will make uh, make that enough or make that God will wrap the miracle up in that and through that cause the miracle throughout our lives beyond just feeding the people to take place and I guess in that sense that's the way to get closer spiritually uh, with God I think is the spiritual message is what he's trying to um, share so um, let me see then he took up the five loaves and two fish oh um so they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets of the leftover fragments that were taken up by them. So that lets you know there was more than enough when it was over with letting us know that something miraculous happened there. Even though they may not understand exactly, we don't even understand exactly how he made it happen. But um, it was multiplied to be enough for the whole crowd. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and he asked them saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So Jesus is wondering about what kind of reputation he's gaining among the whole the big multitudes because again it's thousands of people. So they answered and said John the Baptist, but some say Elijah and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. Uh, so that's who the, who the people are wondering among themselves about who Jesus is. Some are thinking he's John the Baptist because again John the Baptist has already been uh, killed. Uh, we read that earlier. And um, so they think maybe he's come again. So maybe Agnes, those people had not experienced, um, had seen the miracles of Jesus at that point, or just think somehow it's uh, some transformation. At any rate, some people think he's John the Baptist, some think he's Elijah, and some say um, one of the old prophets has risen again. So um, Elijah is the Old Testament prophet who. Um, was one of the people who was carried away in a UFO, what we call a UFO, if you want to look back and read that for yourself in the Old Testament, where he was carried away in a fiery chariot, it's described as, with witnesses there. And so and that's not even Christian, that's in the Jewish faith that was passed down long before 
Christ even walked the earth it was there um, uh, written that that happened with him so that's who Elijah is and when they say the old prophets uh, they're talking about in what we call the Old Testament prophets they think maybe he's one of them risen again reincarnated um, he said to them well, who do you say that I am Peter answered and said the Christ of God so um, when he asked Peter who he thinks he is Peter Peter um, says uh, that he believes he is the anointed one the savior that was prophesied of in the old what we call the Old Testament sent by God and he strictly warned and commanded him to tell this to no one saying the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day so he's letting them know that keep that under wraps don't share that with anyone keep that a secret so it's not time that people should know that that's who he is and probably because they knew God knew Jesus knew that if people knew that that's who he said he was and claimed to be then that would definitely put a target on him even quicker and he knows that that was going to happen anyway as he said he's heading towards that happening to for um happening to him but um that just isn't wasn't time for it yet so um and even identifies who it is who was going to do the persecuting of him the elders who should know better the chief priests who should know better and the scribes the ones who are documenting the miracles and the teachings so they also should know better but it's those very ones who are going to be the ones who uh carry on um bring about the crucifixion using the romans uh, then he said to them all if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me so Jesus is saying now this message is to anyone this isn't just for the disciples like he gave them the command of uh, having power over demons and the power to heal people before he sent them out this specifically he says is for anyone who desires to come after him excuse me That would be us, modern-day Christians, and anyone who followed him then and since then, or even before then, since he said before that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to make it into the kingdom of God. So um, even the faith of knowing that it was going to happen at some point is uh, enough, apparently, for some, in some cases. Um, so what he's saying here, though, is that you have to daily dedicate we have to daily dedicate ourselves to jesus and that means um more than just um that means yes in prayer and meditation but it means also in sharing that message just like he, they just did with the multitude it means taking what jesus gives us in life and sharing it with the world for whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it so Jesus is letting them know it's not necessarily a safe thing to do and it's not going to be popular that they'll gain enemies in doing what he tells them to do in sharing and just sharing the gospel. It seems crazy, but it, the, it's not crazy because there's lots of money and power invested in keeping systems alive of controlling people's behavior and controlling societies and that sort of thing. It's very real. And there's lots and lots of old money in it, so um, there's power with that. So Jesus is letting them know you're gonna if in fighting against that, in dealing with that, in revealing that even that um, 
there's some people who are going to lose their lives and it's for his sake but he's saying in doing that you're actually saving your life and I think he's saying in the spiritual sense obviously for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost so Jesus is saying there that pursuing worldly treasure is not where it's at he's saying as you could gain all that but end up losing your soul and what profit is there in that in the long run and the big picture for you Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So Jesus is saying here again that it's his words that we have to focus on. And this is specifically if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then it's his words that are going to be so, so important in our daily walk. Because again, it's taking up your cross daily and following him. But also in our ultimate arrival of where it is we believe we're heading. Um, and he's saying in doing that, if you don't focus on his words, if you hide his words, like hiding a light under a basket, or you hide your faith, or if people can't see it in the way things you see and say and do, um, in the way you can't see it in you, um, that's hiding it. And he's saying when that comes and you're hiding it ultimately because there's something in it that shames you. Generally, uh, it's different for everybody. It's some sort of conviction of what it is that conflicts with something as we'd like to do, whether it be um, something sexual we enjoy, which Jesus actually doesn't get very um, uh, judgmental when it comes to that, but people will make it that way other, with other things in the Bible. Um, or um, other things like uh, if it's pursuit of money, or if you want to get revenge on someone because you feel like they hurt you whatever the case is usually that's where that at least it seems to me that's where it often arises you feel ashamed or convicted by the fact that you know what it is you're feeling or whatever it is you want to pursue may not necessarily align with what you believe jesus said or what you believe in your belief system if you're not christian um that is right for you to do and, and that's where um, shame part of it arises and um and denying what it is the faith in fact i guess of what jesus jesus actually had to say about things because you still want to do whatever it is you want to do and he's saying when that happens you're denying him and a judgment day will come when he in turn will deny you or you know if god forbid you should do that um, there'll be a time where he's going, well, I don't know you. You didn't know me. You weren't doing what I told you to do. Uh, and he, what, again, what he tells us to do is very basic in many cases. And it's very different than what churches or preachers and teachers and parents even will tell you what uh, God would have you do. It's not what people would tell you. It's very different what Jesus actually had to say in many cases. But he's saying if you're willing to just ignore what he tells you to do, and how it is he said what it is he says you should prioritize and take up as your cross daily then there'll come a time when uh, before god and everybody he's not going to know you either but i tell you truly there's some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of god and i think we went over this and this might actually be where we left off before i had to start over again from another platform um uh, where um i believe this is pointing to one of the things because uh, for this to be true, uh, something else has to be a work that we don't realize. For people to be standing there who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Some preachers will twist this to say that this happened when at the resurrection. 
when a whole new chapter sort of began in um, the human experience, the spiritual human experience. Um, but um, that wouldn't be a big prediction, then because like all of the disciples except one lived to see that, not to mention all the multitudes that followed him. So I don't think that that's what he was talking about. I think he's talking about something much, much, much bigger that um, when he says that, he's saying, I think, that um, there's some standing there who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. I think what he's saying there is that, and this sounds crazy, that at some point, it may sound crazy, um, but at some point, I think what he's saying, time travel will become a possibility and a reality. And think about it, the times of human experience and human uh, life that most people want to visit if time travel were a reality today most people I think would want to either go all the way back to the beginning to how when things were very basic and simple they probably want to go to the end either their own end or the end of the world end whatever they believe that to be and they probably want to go to when Jesus walked the earth to see if Jesus even existed in the first place did he really perform the miracles was it a magic tricks? Was it real? Did the crucifixion happen? And most of all, was there a resurrection and an ascension and all of that? That seems to me that would be the time in history where people would travel to. So I think for this to be true, that people were there then and who are going to still be around at the second coming, then it would have to be true that at some point time travel probably becomes a reality and people were there and Jesus recognized them being there. Um, um, even back then, before the crucifixion, and again, I know it sounds crazy, but um, uh, it's not like it's something that scientists aren't working on. Um, and so it's not like at some point it can't be a reality, just like 100 years ago, well, probably 110 years ago, a little longer, 100 years ago, basically, if you told someone you flew from Los Angeles to Chicago or Los Angeles to New York, people would think you're crazy. But the reality is, planes became common and people fly now. So, um, just because something seems impossible and crazy now, doesn't mean it always was or always will be. Um, excuse me. So, I mean, it's either that or maybe there were vampires in the crowd who won't taste death till then or something like that. But for people that have been around back then to still be around at the second coming, um, it would have to be something that's not spoken or hidden or has been deleted on purpose for him, for Jesus to be pointing to there. Now it came to pass after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were... Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So just to catch us up where we are here now. So now Jesus has separated himself with just a couple of the disciples, a few of the disciples up on a mountain. And what's happening here is what's described as, like it says, the transfiguration. And if you want to think about that, that'd be like if light sort of came bursting forth. At least that's what I'm understanding if you want to picture it be like light bursting forth from someone um, instead of their clothes, their eyes, their skin, their flesh, they become like light. Um, and so that's what's being described here anyway and um, at least how I picture it. And 
saying that two men appeared and talked with him were Moses and Elijah. Those are Old Testament um, figures. Moses was way, way, way back in the book of Exodus, like so early on in the beginning. And um, Elijah was much further on in the uh, Old Testament, a prophet, both prophets. And um, Moses died on a mountain and was buried. And um, no one knows where he was buried because according to what's written there, God buried him. And Elijah was the one who was carried away in the UFO, the fiery chariot. Uh, so he also had a, an interesting um, moment at his passing, however you want to describe it, um, if you're going to believe the Old Testament. So that's what happened with those two uh, people, and that's who's appeared here. But what's not explained is how do they know that's who they are, since those were, um, at least in Moses' case, thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth and the disciples. So how is it they knew that that's Moses and Elijah? Because um, there weren't TVs or uh, online profiles back then, so it's not like they could just look them up and say, oh, that's Moses, that's Elijah. It doesn't really explain how it is that they know that's who they were, unless at some point they discussed it with Jesus later. It's not explained. Um, and, they're, and they appeared uh, on the mountain, and they're discussing the fact that Jesus is about to die. That's what decease means. He's about to cease from being. Uh, at least in the form that they know him, um, that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So let's also that there's a bigger spiritual picture that Jesus knows what's going on. And these two who have appeared, they also know what's going on because they're discussing it with him. So there's something else, uh, like I've said before, there's some big picture that we don't see. We only get a peep of it and apparently God sees the whole big picture, maybe even writes it like that Akashic record that's already laid out make moves and turns in it depending on whether we take the right move or we take the wrong move in different things in life which goes again to what people who don't even believe in God think and believe is possible as far as a multiple existing universes that may even branch out instantaneously based on what it is you say or even see and recognize and do um, so and those are people who don't even believe in God necessarily um, so anyway Jesus is um, on the mountain and talking with those two Old Testament prophets. Uh, but Peter and, and those who were with him, Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. So, um... Uh, the thing to notice there is that he's in awe, Peter, the disciple. They're they're sort of asleep when it begins, when they notice what's happening. Um, but then by the time they're fully awake, they see what's going on. They recognize that there's two people talking with Jesus and it's in some sort of uh, divine state that it's all happening. Because not only are the two uh, people who passed away in the Old Testament there right then or at least existed in the old testament appearing there but jesus also is appearing himself in some sort of light form um oh sorry Let's see and so he's in awe of what's going on and he wants to build their sort of altars places of worship tabernacles to worship jesus moses and Elijah, sort of as a trinity um and it says not knowing what he said um, that's what the person who's writing it down has told us, um, sort of as an explanation of um, 
Peter doesn't realize what he's saying could be considered blasphemous to make altars for three people who are not God in their eyes. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. So the thing to notice there is that you, uh, if you're going to believe uh, the, this account, that's God speaking, claiming, letting people know that, that, that Jesus is his son. And that the command that we have there is plain and simple. It's two words, to hear him. So again, it's the reason why red letter Christians focus on the red letters. Because if uh, it's giving Jesus the last word, it's actually listening to what it is Jesus had to say about something and letting that be your um, compass. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they'd seen. So it lets us know it wasn't just a vision. It actually did happen because there was a physical cloud. There was a physical voice that they heard. Uh, so it lets us know that even though they started out asleep when it was happening, it wasn't like they were dreaming. Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain and plus all three having the same dream. That'd be, that'd be divine too. Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look at my son for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, it convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great great difficulty, bruising him. So it sounds like the man's son has what we would call epileptic seizures. Excuse me. But he may also be dealing with other things, because uh, epileptic, epileptic seizures have nothing to do with uh, demons, their uh, physical condition. I knew someone who had seizures. Um, so um, it's letting us know that in their understanding, because again, this isn't red letters, it's not what Jesus said, it's what the person who's there, who is telling Jesus that's what they're experiencing, that's, what, that's how they're describing what they're going through with their child. Um, he's crying it out from the multitude, letting them know he's desperate. He wants help. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. So this lets us know this chapter began with Jesus giving them the authority, the disciples that is, the power to cast out demons and heal sicknesses. And here you see, here not even at the end of the chapter, the disciples aren't always able to do that. They're not able always to um, exercise the authority, the powers that Jesus gave them. And so we should not be uh, disappointed it shouldn't, although I'm sure it does, shake our faith. I know it does. When we pray for things and they don't um, happen the way we pray for them or when we expect them or the way we hope for them. Um, so um, what's happening here is the disciples are letting down the crowd who are trying to follow Jesus and figure out what's going on. They're not able to do what it is they've been given the authority to do. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. So I think to notice here is that Jesus is saying faithless, and he's saying that to the disciples and generation. He's saying perverse in the sense that I think what they're um, possibly, what they're attributing to being possessed with demons, what the person is dealing with, may in fact, Jesus knows, not have anything to do 
at least that part of it, the convulsions part, to do with being with demons at all. But instead, it's a physical illness that the person is dealing with. And it's a perversion to think um, that it's uh, something else, to think that it's demonics at work, at least with that part of what it is he's dealing with. So um, that's the sense, that's a, a case where when he's saying perverse has nothing to do with sex, I believe he's saying it's a perversion of the truth. It's a distortion of what's actually going on. But it is their account of what they're experiencing with their son. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. So none of that is in red letter, the part um, about what Jesus actually said to child or to perform what they're calling an exorcism it's not in red letters it's what the person it's like the reporter it's like the media it's what they've documented as what luke said happened so what luke is saying happened here is that um even while the person who needed the exorcism because they're saying it's demons was on their way to jesus um jesus rebuked the spirit and healed the child um and gave him back to his father so it lets us know it's at least according to who wrote it whether it's a healing physically or um spiritual exorcism that was going on jesus covered it and returned the child to his parent and again the thing to notice there subtle message is jesus follow jesus's example how jesus deals with children he doesn't um take them from the parents into a dark place and do bad things to them instead whenever the children are around he makes it public to show that um uh, that's what we should do you shouldn't leave your children to people you consider holy just because you think they're holy and righteous when in fact they may not be in fact if you're going to follow jesus example do it publicly let them share what it is they're sharing with your children about god in front of you i'm sure you could use it too um, protect your kids. Um, so, and they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. So, Jesus is letting them know, don't get dissuaded, don't get, don't get distracted by what's going on around you, the huge crowds following you, following with them. Or anything else that's going on. It would be the equivalent of don't get distracted by the clicks or lack of clicks or thumbs up or thumbs down. By any of that stuff. He's saying because although it looks like there's thousands of people following him. Huge multitudes following following him. He's letting him know he's about to be betrayed. Even with those huge crowds. And he's going to be um, stabbed in the back basically. And he's going to be turned over to people who don't follow him and don't believe in him. They did not understand his saying and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So again, this isn't red letters. So it's not Jesus saying that it was hidden from them. It's the writer saying that it was hidden from them. Because why in the world would Jesus just reveal something to them and then hide it from them so they don't understand it? That doesn't make sense. So it's a, an instance where you have to... Focus on the red letters. Focus on what Jesus actually said. Jesus actually told them to let it sink down. So he's not hiding it from them. He's making it clear. This is something they should understand. That he's about to be betrayed. Then a dispute arose among them. As to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus perceiving the thought of their heart. Took a little child and set him by him. And said to them. 
Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. So Jesus is saying here that I think that this is the same way we should approach our faith and our walk with Christianity, with faith, with God. Approach it as a little child with open faith and believing that anything's possible with God. Just like Jesus says, um, rather than with our own preconceived notions and dogma that has been taught to us by churches or um, by our parents even, because you know some parents don't introduce kids to God at all. Um, and sometimes that's probably a good thing, especially considering what's happened to a lot of them as kids with God, um, or people who claim to be God. But so Jesus is saying here, um, don't do that. Let the children come and um, bring the children to God and give them spiritual guidance, basically. And he's saying that if we take that same humble approach, that um, that's what will actually make us great in God's eyes, not trying to exalt ourselves. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Uh, but Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he was not against us is on our side. So Jesus is letting us know here, you see how it says sectarianism. That's basically denominations. Uh, excuse me. So Jesus is saying, we're all on the same team, or supposed to be, if you're going to be uh, call yourself a Christian, and what makes it so is um, Jesus is saying, here, that that's what, that's what we have to remember. We have to remember we're all on the same side, and that if, it, and what would make it that way is following what Jesus has to say about things. Um... And not trying to create differences among each other that sort of make one better than the other. Because that's not what it should be about. It should be about what Jesus had to say. Not about the disciples trying to be great in each other's eyes or in the world's eyes. Now it came to pass, or it seems like in that case, trying to be like, no, you need to come through us and be like the exclusive Link to the Lord, and um, Jesus is letting him know, no, that's not the case either. Yeah, we're all on the same side. We're all trying to see Christ, and that's the point. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So this lets us see Jesus is on the move again, and he's being rejected by one of the areas he's heading to. So he told us already, or at least he told them when they get rejected to uh, knock the dirt off their feet against the place as a test against them. Not to sort of rebel and uh, clown and act crazy because they're rejecting you. Roll with it and keep moving. Um, but so he's, he's running into that himself. The people who he's come to greet here are not receiving him because he said he's letting him know this is just a stop on the way he's on his way somewhere else which may be another spiritual message for us and when his disciples James and John saw this they said Lord do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did so maybe because they a couple of the disciples had just experienced 
uh, Elijah and Moses there on the mountain Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Maybe that's why Elijah is coming to mind. But if you want to read in the Old Testament, there was a point where Elijah was being pursued by basically the government at that point. And um, when the government sent 50 soldiers to him um, to sort of go collect him, to confiscate him, to arrest him, uh, Elijah called for, um, they called Elijah a man of God. That's how they greeted him. So that recognized that they knew whatever it is he was doing, it was because God had him, the God of the Old Testament had him doing it. Um, but they still were pursuing what the government had them do. Uh, rather than that, even though he was a holy man, according to the Old Testament. And when they did that, he responded to them saying, well, if I am a man of God, because that's how they greeted him. He said, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you. And that's what happened, according to the Old Testament. Fire came down and ate up that whole battalion or that 50 men. Uh, so then another 50 soldiers were sent. Same thing happened to them. They greeted him the same way. And similarly, he said the same thing. Fire came out, came down and destroyed him. That's sort of a witness to us that he was indeed um, working on God's behalf, or at least a God of the Old Testament. Um, so the, that's Elijah, the same Elijah that just appeared there. And so that's what they're drawing on, James and John, saying, should they do the same thing since they were rejected by that town? Should they call for fire to come down from heaven and consume the whole town just like Elijah did? So how does Jesus respond? But he, but he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. So the thing to notice there is clearly Jesus is not with that. That's not what Jesus said to do. He's not saying eye for an eye. He's told us that before, that that's not the way, the Christian way to do things. And he's saying responding with revenge like that, that's not the way to do it. And he's saying um, that they don't know what manner of spirit they're of in the sense of, I think he's saying uh, the Christian spirit is not that eye for an eye spirit that's preached in the Old Testament. It's a turn the other cheek spirit and leave it with the Lord sort of spirit. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. So he's saying that that wasn't his purpose in coming there. And maybe even he's pointing to that's not what Elijah's purpose was either when that happened in the Old Testament. But he's saying that that's not... Um, that's not what his purpose is for sure to go around zapping people or destroying people because they reject Christianity saying that's not how it's supposed to be with them and they went to another village so he moves on if you reject it you reject it you accept it you accept it it's fine it's your choice and again that's what even people scientists who believe don't even necessarily believe in God will say um, when they believe that um Multiple universes can exist at the same time of us existing in different places or even in the same place at the same time in different places and all sorts of things like that. And they believe that even the decisions we make, <coughs> excuse me, um, create those new existences in these different universes throughout the universe. Um, so again, it's where you're putting your faith. It all takes faith one way or the other. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. So that lets us know that even though he had huge crowds following him, there were still new people discovering him, willing to follow him. And they're following him on foot. This is before vehicles like, you know, um, buses and stuff. This is on foot or at best on horseback. 
or camelback or something. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds to the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So I think what Jesus is letting him know here is that if you're following me, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, thinking that this is heading towards a grand mansion, a big giant uh, palatial, palatial home for you to come and uh, live in like the prince of the manor or something like that. He's letting you know just like foxes have hit to their holes when their day is done and birds hit to their nests when they're done flying. That's where they go to rest. That's what you think is happening that we're going to walk towards some grand mansion and that you're going to find a room in there for yourself. He's saying, he's saying, you know, um, that's not what's happening now because he's saying the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He's saying son of man instead of me. Um, because I think for our posterity, for us who were to read it later, to understand that he's saying Jesus, uh, the anointed one, the Christ, in that position, walking the earth at that time, was heading toward a destiny of him having some giant castle and his followers coming there and taking uh, home in it. In that sense, that that's not where it's at. That's not what he's doing. He's not heading toward his nest. He's not heading toward his um, hole like the fox. Excuse me. So if that's what the man was expecting, um, then think again. Then he said to another, follow me. So even though one just came to him and said he's willing to follow him, Jesus sort of sent him away letting him know, if that's what you're expecting, then you're, going, you're on the wrong mission. And then another one, Jesus has chosen to point to and say, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first, first go and bury. And I'm not going to read that because my father's still alive, my daddy. So obviously I don't want to read that. But you can see what it is the person wants to bury their father first before he does what Jesus tells him to, which is to follow him. That's two words. Jesus told him to follow him. The same two words Jesus used with some of the other disciples when they were told to follow him and they did sort of like in a predestined move they just picked up and followed him even leaving their family to follow him here he's telling someone to do that and they're focusing on um their uh dead father who needs to be buried but so jesus says to him let the dead bury their own dead but you go and preach the kingdom of god so jesus is saying uh if you're basically saying if your father's already dead, then let those people who are focused on that part of life, who are already dead, let them focus on that. But you go and do what I tell you to do, which is follow me. He gave him two words to follow me and preach the king God, which would be the things Jesus had to say, the red letters. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. Let me first go and bid farewell who are at my house. So this is someone else if we're to line it up with our realities is someone else who's interested in the kingdom interested in salvation interested in christianity but he's like well let me first go throw a party for myself and sort of bid them farewell and let them know i'm gonna be holy now so i'm gonna just have one last big bash um but jesus no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of god so jesus is saying if you're going to go out and mow your lawn, you're going to need to focus where you're pushing it. If you're steady looking back, you're going to run into trouble. So the same way, if you're going to give up your um, your life of seeking what it is in life that it is you want to pursue, if you're going to give that up to focus on what Jesus has for us, 
our divine mission or take up your cross, as Jesus says. If you're going to do that, then that's what you have to put your attention at. That's what you have to look for. If you're like you're pushing your mower, that's where your focus needs to be straight ahead of you on that mission, not looking back to the old life you used to lead of partying and living it up. And he's saying, if you're going to do that, and he's saying you're not fit for the kingdom. So again, the invitation is to everyone, but not everyone will accept it. And that actually ends this reading. I hope it was a blessing for you, and I appreciate you reading it and checking it out. And uh, God, I'm going to pick up, I'm going to end this reading here. And for indexing, as always, going to pick up with John chapter 9 next, if you want to join me. Um... Um, and then you know upload it or whatever so um and that's this is Wednesdays so that's what we do John and Luke on Wednesdays and Matt and Mark on Mondays those gospels and then Saturday night after midnight early Sunday morning we're gonna pick up where we left off in the book of Revelation all God willing in the meantime take care of yourself and each other wash your hands wear your mask uh, love your neighbor as yourself and thanks again for checking me out peace